Our readings this morning, I have three of them this morning, but they're not very long, but I have three of them. One's from Jeremiah, the other's from the Gospel according to Luke, which I've referred to in the, the youth time with our youth, and then 1 Corinthians, which is the one I'll preach from this morning. So, but uh, I, as I always acknowledge and always um, yield to is, is that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that, that, you know, the same Holy Spirit that was working upon Jesus and His, and His followers thousands of years ago still works with me and you and all of us to, as I say, illuminate the passage, but also prepare the speaker and the listener for what is to be said this day. May God have the glory. Today's reading. Today's reading, is, as I said, is of Jeremiah's call and commission. Now, Jeremiah's call... So, I need to say something just before I say these words. So, there's a formula to the calls in the Bible. Okay, there's a formula. And that's how we acknowledge what they are, and that's how we can go back and read the Scripture. Because we tend to forget that the Bible was written in the beginning, Old, Old Testament especially. There was no grammatical marks. There were no, no periods, no paragraphs. Now, it, just, it, was, it began, each book began with a word and just was a string of words all the way to the end. Okay? So, what helps are these formulas for us to be able to go, oh, oh I, I, see what's getting, I see what's happening because certain things would happen in a sequence. And in this case, it reflects what was happening. So, there was a um, divine, no, excuse me, there was an encounter, an encounter with, in this case, the Word. But you also could have one of those kind of um, encounters like, like uh, um, Paul had, remember, on the road to Damascus where he had that vision of God, vision of the throne, whatever. But the point is, is that, so, there's, there's the, inc- the encounter, and then there is the confrontation, which, you know, it, one th- one, an encounter would be one thing where you, where you either saw God or you heard the Word of God, but it's more than just hearing or seeing. It's actually kind of like engaging with it, okay? So, it's a, it's a confrontation. And then there, then, the, excuse me, and then there's the, the introductory word where God would say or the Word would say, you know, you are my son. That's one of them. Um, the God, God spoke to me. This is the Word of God, okay? So, then there's the commission where the listener is told what to do. Then there's the objection. It's, there's always an objection. So, you know, and typically it's like, I'm not old enough to do this, Lord. Or, how about my brother? Remember, that was what uh, Moses was like. You know, how about my brother? Why, why, why are you choosing me? And so, but the thing is, is that, that, that objection is key because I think what it does is it, it, it speaks to us, humanity. Because I know one thing. If I was walking down that hall and somehow God hit me with a two-by-four, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go, oh, well, why, why are you picking me today? What did I do? So, think about it. We're all just human. And then there's the reassurance. After the objection, there's the reassurance of God, of God going, no, no, Steve, I know what I'm doing. I'm picking you because I know what I'm doing. You, you might not think you're ready, but I know what I'm doing. So there's a reassurance. And then the sign, a sign that it is exactly what is supposed to happen. So it's all right here in these uh, seven verses. So Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord, remember that, that encounter. 
The Word of the Lord came from me. And then it was, before I formed you in the womb, in the, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I, Jeremiah, said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Remember the objection. For I am only a youth. Why are you picking me? But the Lord said to me, and this is the reassurance, do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. That was his call. That was his commission. At the end of this word, plant, you can go and say, Now, run along. That's the way God does work. Next reading. We go to the Gospel according to Luke. Now, this is the reading, as I told you about, about Jesus being rejected by the people. So it's kind of like, you know, Jeremiah, in the reading we just said, Jeremiah is going to, you know, get, run, you know, God says, run along, just go to work. And so he's going to get rejected. He's not going to be, you know, welcomed wherever he goes. And, and the same can be said of Jesus. So, but this rejection of his hometown is the beginning of the opposition he will feel for the rest of his ministry. Luke again highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. As I said about the Holy Spirit when we were talk- when I was preparing to, to read the Scripture. The Holy Spirit's at work at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. With that, Luke 4, 21-30. And Jesus began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of Him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from His mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to Me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did, not, you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to the Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they would, could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And now my final reading is in 1 Corinthians 13. Very, very well-known passage. Almost always I have done so many weddings in my life. And I would say 80% of the weddings, the bride wants this read 
1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Um, and, and this, it's in, introduced in the last sentence, excuse me. This 13 is always pulled out of Scripture, but actually it belongs right where it is because chapter 12 leads into it with these words. Although there is nothing, excuse me, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still more, a more excellent way. And then we move into the 13. And there, there's nothing really explicit about God here, but Paul seems to be presupposing what he has already said about love earlier in the letter. So, um, not exactly, but, but there's a lot, a lot of love going on in, in 1 Corinthians. But what they, he said in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by Him. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. With these familiar words. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, wrote Paul. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of this word. The title of my sermon this morning is Without Love. Without Love. The question for the morning is, what is this love? The English language is so pitiful 
when it comes to expressing love, the word love. We use the word love in five to six different definitions or applications where the Greek had a special word for each type of love so that when we read the Greek passages that we know exactly what type of love they meant. And so that's something to talk about this day. Is, is, what is this love that they're talking about? And then, what might be going on in the Corinthian church that Paul would be writing about love? Paul always addressed the problem. Paul was God's firefighter. Paul was the guy who was always trying to apply. He's the first real theologian. He's always trying to apply Jesus' teachings to the problem of the moment. And there was a problem in Corinth. It fascinates me that brides want to have this red at their, their, their uh, uh, wedding because that's definite, far from the setting that this letter was going into. We had a... Paul was faced with a contentious congregation, a contentious, divided, fussy, judgmental, every critical thing I can think of a, of a congregation was happening in Corinth. So he's writing this letter. This passage is for those people who are having trouble. Well, it could be, you could say, that, you know, if weddings last long enough, there's going to be a little bit of trouble. So if you, if you think of it that way, maybe these are words, and I know I've said this to the couple in front of everybody. I said, try to remember these words because I'm sure they're going in one ear and out the other right now. But the thing is, is that, that, that thing about love, what, you know, well, the, what the Corinthians were lacking was love, this particular type of love. And the one thing I've, I've had a hard time like trying to get it across to people what it might feel like. And one of the, one of the things I use, because, you know, uh, there are certain things in this, in this world, like, you, remember we talked about the spiritual gifts, okay? And the spiritual gifts, you know, one was hospitality. And so I always tell people that my illustration of hospitality without love is the Holiday Inn. They got the door open, the bed's clean, but they don't know if you come or go. And they don't really care if you come or go as long as you pay your bill. That's hospitality without love. Hospitality with love would mean somewhere during the night they're going to make sure that your, your covers have turned down. There's a little bit of chocolate there. Perhaps in the end, but just before bedtime, they come by and knock on the door and say, hey, have we met all your needs? Are you okay? We've locked the doors. You're going to be safe tonight. That's hospitality with love. It's exactly how you treat your guests when they're in your home. But my point is, I, I can come up with, a, with the, the contrast for all the gifts because I've worked through it through the years, but that's one that just usually hits home because we all know what it feels like to stay in a hotel. But So that's what it felt to worship in Corinth. That's exactly what it felt to worship with those people. They didn't love each other. I don't know what they were doing, but they were really wearing out Paul. But so what about this love? What, 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 what's going on here? You know, how, how, do you, how do you best describe it? So I reached back into time and you know, many writers and, and looked at things. And, and Leo Tolstoy from a War and Peace, had a character in there called Prince Andrew Bolkonsky. And Prince, Prince Andrew said in War and Peace, 
Someone dear to one can be loved with human love. Only an enemy can be loved with this love. And it's divine love. It's when it's one thing to love the people you like. It's one thing to love your family. It's another thing to love your neighbor. But to love your enemy? That's what Paul is talking about. Paul's saying, I don't care what they said. I don't care what they did. I don't care how they live. You're called to love everyone. Don't go there first. Don't recall what the transgressions. Don't recall what they said about you. Don't go there. Love them. Divine love. I could say to you a thousand times that I love you. I could say it to you a thousand times, but if my actions don't show that love, hmm, I truly am, as Paul called it, making noise and no action. But if I, and, and if I never say I love you, but act, act, but every one of my acts is, 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 it just screams, screams of my love for you, you'll know it. You'll know it. Do you realize that Jesus never said, I love you? Ever. There's nothing in the Bible. Jesus never said, I love you. Never. But there's not a doubt in my mind of His love for me. There's not a doubt in my mind of His love for you. Why? Because of His actions. Because of His sacrifice. Because of the way He lived. Because the way He wouldn't give up on people. Every one of the stories, He never says, I love you. But every one of His actions screamed of that love. Paul describes a love that corresponded with the issues in his church. And he discussed that through a letter. That's hard too. I think some of us might have tried to write a love letter you know, over our life. Do you ever like read it and go, oh, it's, it just it doesn't get it. And then you pick up the phone. <laughs> but the point is, that the Corinthians, Paul's saying love is a response to God's love. And so, therefore, we kind of have to open up ourselves to how we are loved. And it's love from this relationship that, that powers all of our spiritual gifts. Like I said, hospitality without love is like staying in a hotel. The thing is, is that we're made different in this world. The light that shines from the top of this hill here is love. Yeah, you might want to put some electric lights out there to make it so it stands out, but that's not love. That's marketing. Every spiritual gift we have is powered by love. But no, even though it is powered by love, every spiritual gift we have is going to end. It's going to end. It's going to go away. It can't, be, it can't go on forever in our lives because we go away. We're mortal. There is a beautiful irony in the fact that one thing that lasts forever 
wrote Reverend Galloway, Lewis Galloway. Every one, the one thing that lasts forever is the love you give away. Some of you teachers, I love to hear your stories. The child at the time might not have felt your love, but you gave them love. You gave them love. Imagine how in that time, they might have been with you for a half a year or for a year or just a few weeks or for maybe, like in, in my case, growing up in Virginia Beach, that my teachers were with me. It felt like for years and years. But the point is, is imagine that love and how they changed. You changed people's lives. My fourth grade teacher, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. McClintock, she was fascinating. Strict as they might have been back then, she held our feet to the fire. Well, I grew up and graduated, obviously, out of elementary school for me to be here. But I had an accident as a young man. And in, in a baseball game, I was hit in the head. And it, it, it hit me. I got hit in the face with a pitch. And it blinded one of my eyes. with my eyes covered for weeks. She came and fed me. I was grown. And she came and fed me. I'll never forget it. Ever. That's love. She didn't have to come to the hospital. She was retired already. She could have forgotten all of us. But she heard that I had an accident. I was blind on my back. I couldn't sit up. And she came and fed me. I've never forgotten it. And I give thanks to the Lord for every time she did that. I still to this day. She died years ago. I still pray for her. That's love. Probably. It's where my acts come from. Because I realize there are times you have an opportunity to love somebody that can't love you back. That's divine love. And that's what Paul wanted. That's what Mrs. McClintock showed me. And that's what we're called to do. Those who think they have gained everything by standing on principles, dominating others, or by being right, have lost it all. The love Paul wants us to share is tough, it's resilient, and it's long-suffering. Long-suffering. Each person, each person has the opportunity to take this love and make a difference. For divine love is long-lived and changes lives. Let us pray. Lord, without love, a congregation is simply a country club. Lord, may that never be the case here. Without love, a marriage is just a partnership. Without love, 
we can rarely make a difference in this world. But with love, each and every one of us become a significant contributor to the world you're making. Help us to be that soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.